welcome to Sage and Spirit, a podcast designed to nourish your mind, body, soul, and spirit. I'm your host, Anna Claire Lottie, and I'm so grateful you're here. In this holistic wellness podcast, I'll be having candid conversations with others, exploring topics such as healing with plants, food as medicine, earth connection, spirituality, conscious entrepreneurship, and so much more. Thank you for being here and sharing in this journey with me. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Sage and Spirit. Today, I'm really honored to bring you some people that are just really amazing herbalists and people that are doing great things in their community. And that is Bob Lindy and Renee Crozier-Prince, the founders of the Traditions School of Herbal Studies in St. Petersburg, Florida. Before I get into today's episode and telling you a little bit more about Bob and Renee, just a quick reminder that all of the information shared on this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only, and none of the information shared is meant to treat, cure, diagnose, or prevent any illness or disease. I always highly recommend that you consult with a trusted healthcare professional anytime that you're looking to make changes in your healthcare and wellness routines, or if you'd like to add new herbs and supplements into your daily protocols. That being said, today I'm speaking with Bob Lindy and Renee Crozier-Prince, and we are discussing herbs for pets. And we're not just talking about maybe your domesticated animals like cats and dogs, but Bob and Renee have actually both worked with a multitude of different kinds of animals. So anything from snakes to birds, other reptiles, large mammals, um, their experience working with animals is so interesting and unique, and they really have so much to bring to the table. The two of them, as I mentioned earlier, are the founders of the Traditions School of Herbal Studies, which was founded in 2005 and offers clinical herbal programs in Eastern and Western medicine. In addition to Western and uh, Chinese clinical herbalism, Traditions offers classes and intensives involving medicinal and edible plants, the history of plant medicine, herbal preparations, barefoot doctoring, metaphysical classes, and the study of herbs in relation to spirituality. Renee is a registered herbalist and traditional healer, and she's also the clinical Western herbalist program instructor for the school, while Bob is an acupuncture physician, a registered herbalist with the American Herbalist Guild, and he is the co-director and director of the clinical Chinese herbalist program. So um, again, the two of them are really just such a wealth of knowledge and have so much to bring to the table. They're doing amazing things in their community. They have a community herbal clinic where they see clients on a daily basis. And they're some of the busiest people I know as far as um, clinicians in the field of herbalism. So I could go on and on and on about all of their amazing accolades, but I definitely highly recommend that you check out their website, which is posted in the show notes. But just if you're interested, it's traditionsherbschool.com. 
can find out all about the different classes that they offer, the different programs that they offer. If you ever have the wonderful opportunity to share space with them, especially at an herbal conference, um, you'll see that they have so many amazing offerings between the classes and the beautiful and healing stones that they sell and teach about. Um, really just so much wisdom and knowledge coming from these two. So again, today we're talking about herbs for pets of all different kinds, and we go over mostly food and herbs um, that Bob and Renee have worked with in working with all different kinds of animals. We talk a little bit about the different constitutional types, some energetic concepts, and a beginning materia medica for some of the more common herbs that you might be able to find either in your yard or in commerce that you can incorporate into caring for the pets and other animals in your life. Um, Bob and Renee recommend all sorts of herbs in our discussion today. We talk a little bit about burdock or gobo. We talk about oat straw, chrysanthemum, Chinese Solomon seal, a Chinese formula called Yunnan Baiyao, which you may actually remember if you listened to my previous episode with Corey Pine Shane, um, which he mentioned that herb um, or Chinese blend in particular for his holistic first aid kit. So all kinds of really great ideas in this episode. I always really enjoy having conversations with Bob and Renee, and I hope that you enjoy listening to our conversation and learning from these two wonderful people. Bob and Renee, hello. It's so great to be with y'all today. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. Welcome. Thank you. And thanks for having us. Super happy to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I would love to start off a little bit. We're going to talk all about herbs for animals today and natural animal care really more than anything else. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your backgrounds, where y'all are coming from, and maybe just a little bit of your experience leading up to where you are now. You know, it, it's funny. One of the things we don't really separate whether it's a two-legged animal that we're working with versus a four or feathered or scaled, um, herbs is herbs and critters is critters. And um, so honestly, I think for both of us, and I'll let Renee speak for herself, but we've kind of just, as anything presented itself that needed help, we provided help. Um, and certainly as we've gone further along, we've refined our skill and our knowledge. Um, for me, probably some of my formal uh, care for it though, I've been a formulator for a dog and cat uh, herbal line, as well as uh, a separate company. I was doing a, an herbal line uh, for aging racehorses. Uh, they were starting to get a little arthritic and so forth and have consulted on a, everything from snow leopards to a variety of other wild animals, which has been fascinating. Ultimately, I've been a, a, a dog and a reptile owner for uh, much of my life. And now I guess we have chickens and who knows what else is running around these days. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, it's been one of those things of necessity. And over the last 10 years, probably more than anything, uh, we've started to see pets in the clinic. Uh, so we've been more formally seeing them on a, on a pretty much a weekly basis now. So I, I think that Bob was right in saying it that way that we were both taught to care for all living creatures, whether it's plants or animals or whatever, um, that we would just not say no, like we just find some way to help, like who else was going to do it. I was raised 
kind of in a survivalist farm family type of thing in a place that there wasn't really a vet like that wouldn't have entered our mind that there was a vet to take a farm type animal to the other thing as being hunters we're trained that the animals are giving themselves we're not skilled they're allowing us to catch them and they're giving themselves like deer meat it's very important that you pray about it so so my point would be that if we injured a deer it would be our responsibility to care for that. Or if we took a mom accidentally and there was a baby left, it's our our responsibility to care for it. And there wouldn't have been anybody to go to. That just wasn't a question. But I also grew up from a survivalist type of um, thought process that we would be caring for anything that was out there. We were stewards of the land. We were stewards of the creatures that we put into captivity. Like pets were considered part of the family because we're basically putting them in bondage. So it's our responsibility. They have no choice. They can't go find their wild things if we have a dog on a leash. And because of that, it, it evolved into this weird people would ask me for anything type of thing. I've worked on giraffes and llamas uh, and elephants and fish, like it's so hard to dose a fish. Um, and wild birds and not wild birds and raccoons, just if there was somebody in need, whether it was PTSD or a broken wing or an old working element elephant that used to set a circus tent, I've, I've worked on those kind of things because there wasn't people to ask. There was a vet that could deal with if it had, um, I don't know, a tumor or something that there would be maybe a wild vet that we could pull so they would come and say, is there anything you could do about this before we call the vet? Because I would be working on other preservation programs. And so we have a weird background. So other than hunting dogs as pets, um, it was more like wild or farming animals at first. And now I've gotten really good at it in metabolism and personality and flower essences that it came to us naturally for real. Like we would be trying to help what was wild and injured. So that's how it started. I do think it's important that in both of our, like kind of giving you our background, we point out that in the clinic, Bob already said it, we turn nobody down and that doesn't matter what it is. So we really got known in our parts, at least in the whole state of Florida, if not out of the state for the vet sending a dog home to die basically. And then like driving by the clinic and walking in with the dog as a last chance. And so, so we are like, all right. And so we've had a lot of experience with emergency care that has lent us to patterns, like seeing patterns in, in normal pets, for sure. Nice. I love that so much. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm the same way, but I don't have nearly as much experience as y'all I've worked. I worked in zoos when I was in college and yeah. I learned a lot there and that was a lot of fun. And <clears throat> yeah, I worked with like large hoofstock with an, um, mm -hmm. elephants and yep. giraffes and sea lions and, mm -hmm. and super cool. Um, and I think a lot of times people definitely have a proclivity to want to help injured animals or, or animals that are obviously going through some kind of struggle. Um, but a lot of times people don't really know that they're in a position that they are able to help or they don't have that information or awareness. Um, so I'm really excited to chat with y'all a little bit today. Yeah. And you've got um, a, an animal friend here with you to just kind of set the mood, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what happens is anytime we do anything that has to do with animals, we do bring one of our animals with us. It's difficult to bring the chickens because they're super unruly, um, but we do have a dog. He's a, he's a lab Mastiff mix. He was a rescue. 
He's tiny compared to his siblings. He's about 125, 135, depending on whether we're feeding him people food, which is a whole issue. It's always the owner's fault. Um, <laughs> and so we do bring him in case it comes up um, that we would want to show something or talk about something or deal with something. So if you hear weird noises in the background, it is our class dog. He comes to most of our classes, even our for formal clinical ones. And so he is with us. So you'll hear a little bit of, he was just whining. He saw, a, like he, he doesn't know um, to differentiate. He saw like a squirrel and was whining for it. Like he wanted <laughs> to go play and see what the squirrel was. Of course. Yeah, so, so he's with us. If you hear weird noises, that's what you're hearing for sure. Perfect. I'm glad he joined today. <laughs> it's Cody, the, the lab, the lab um, Mastiff mix. Yes, we're grateful to have Cody here. So um, I wonder if y'all just want to start a little bit then by by speaking to just kind of an introduction as to why people would want to work with herbs for animals um, and just kind of also getting into what's important when we're working with either pets that we have in our home or animals on the farm, or like you said, you know, just wildlife, what are some of the kind of key things? So I know that this is like a huge rabbit hole of a question, but if you just want to start and then we can just kind of you, take the turns as they come. <laughs> do you want, do you feel like you want to go yeah. on that? Yeah. You know, it, it is one of the great struggles. I always compare it to, there's almost like different levels of herbalism. Like I think everybody should know a little bit. And, and in a way we all know a little bit of herbalism. We all know a little bit of medicine. Uh, if you've taken the most basic courses, we know uh, some uses of some mint and chamomile and nettles and so forth in the same way that everybody knows how to go to CVS or something like that. And we can get some basic first aid, we can get a, an NSAID or, and take care of some acute basic issues. But when it comes to pets too often, we don't have experience if we're, if we're city folks and, and we haven't grown up on a farm that we have this mystery because a, a pet in particular can't tell us what's wrong. We, we can understand that maybe they don't feel well, maybe they puked, maybe they're pooping, maybe they're limping, but we don't feel like we're qualified in order to give some basic assistance, which in most cases is all that's necessary. And, you know, a whole nother, a whole nother podcast is like as an aging uh, animal, how do we provide for that senior dog or cat or horse for that matter? And so I think most people, um, we, I want to say, we, we always joke about people will spend twice as much money for their pet as they ever mm -hmm. will for themselves. They're quick to rush them to the veterinarian. And, and it's good to do that. Like we, because they can't speak to us always in the most uh, obvious ways, we're doing our best guess to understand what's going on. So part of what we really enjoy teaching people is we need to have that relationship with our animals so that we can better ascertain their imbalances. And one of the things we really focus on both in, in two-legged as well as four-legged is energetics. That idea of, is, are you running hot? Or are you running cold? Are you really weak and deficient? Or are you feeling very excessive? And we don't have the ability to ask the questions that we normally would of a human, but we can do some observational medicine to recognize how they're out of whack. Um, and that allows us to work with some really safe, um, long history of use of herbs for animals and feel that connection. And so our pets trust us, hopefully, uh, <laughs> and we increase our connection with them uh, beyond just that, uh, you know, we throw food on them, take them for a walk kind of idea, 
but when we're actually caring for them, we create a new bond and a new relationship with them that I think everybody desires. And it's so funny. We don't always think about bonds with reptiles and birds, you know, like we got the stupid chickens, they just give us free scrambled eggs. Um, but the reality is we have a bond with them and they have personalities. Uh, we, we've had like, I, I grew up, I had a thing for reptiles. I wanted to be a herpetologist when I grew up. And I thought they had a personality, but everybody thought I was crazy. And I don't uh, have a thing for reptiles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get the snakes. Yes. Um, but one of our, our graduates, uh, actually now one of our practitioners, had a uh, she raises bearded dragons. And one day just in class, she was like, yeah, I've got one that's like, we can't, we can't let him go. It's got PTSD. It did have PTSD. And, and, it was a bearded dragon. Yeah, there's a yeah. long story behind that. But mm -hmm. ultimately... So um, it wouldn't socialize with the other uh, lizards. And so we actually did some moxibustion uh, for this lizard. And so using some mugwort rolled up like a little joint and burned over the uh, specific acupuncture points with a single treatment, this thing starts running around and playing with the others, eating better, uh, becoming a, a more uh, giving and, and well-rounded lizard, normal lizard. Yeah. And, and that's amazing. It yeah, really it was. It was. And, yeah. And so one of those ideas that, and we, we teach our students this as well. Um, the idea that all we can do is try our very best and using the knowledge that we have and everything that people know about humans, 99% of that we can transfer into the care of those pets. And so it's really about giving people permission and getting over their inhibitions and fear. And that's a common problem for herbalists of all critters. So so I do think it was important, something that Bob said that I wanna make a comment about um, the what he's describing. So we were, we were talking about, like you and I just now we're talking about how we're not entirely sure like David Winston likes to say that herbs are really popular, but herbalists aren't. So we're not really entirely sure when people listen to us speak, whether they're herbalists or not, or they even understand what we're saying in some cases. So we have to make sure if we were speaking to the general public, which right now we are, that what he's talking about is what we call energetics. And lots of Western herbalists don't even use energetics. Um, and Bob comes from, he's a doctor of oriental medicine, he's an acupuncturist, he's a Western herbalist and a Chinese herbalist. So he comes from a slant that has a really strong energetic base. So basically what he's saying is, if we used the whole thought process of hot, cold, wet, dry, if you have a dog that's always sassy and, and, and barking at you and trying to get your attention, if we have that like heat rising or energy rising, it's the same thing that we're looking at with somebody who talks with their hands and speaks loudly. It's the same type of energetics. And if we learn to evaluate based on what we're seeing, hot, cold, wet, dry, tense, laxed, we do pretty well. That being said, within the kinds of animals, we have issues that are basic issues that we have to know about. So snakes and birds, always metabolize slower or faster. They're the most sensitive. Mm -hmm. Cats always metabolize a little bit faster than dogs. And dogs and horses, we can kind of treat like humans. Like, like we, we don't have to dose quite as high as we would think for a horse, but technically their metabolism works that way. So if you start to go through what are the basics we need to know, Bob's right, get to have a relationship watch it is, is the dog laying on tile because it's hot all the time like knowing that hot cold wet dry so that you can choose a plant that's not going to exacerbate it or thinking about the actual constitution that birds will always run a large quantity 
through faster. So they, they're predisposed to overdosing and they have to be dosed more because it, they'll run it through. So if it's a pain medicine, they'll get too much at once and have none for the next couple hours or a pain herb. And cats have it in as very sensitive um, digestive functioning and do, do the same kind of thing. And snakes and reptiles go way, way slower. So you can't dose them every day like you do a normal thing. You'll have to find out a normal animal. You'll have to figure out how to get it to them every day because they're not going to eat the medicine every single day because they don't, their metabolism is too slow. So there's little tricks like that, that you start to figure out if you, if you are a functioning herbalist and you did have a community program or a clinical program, you're going to look at all animals with the exception of burly dogs um, as for real, because they're so forgiving um, as special populations. So you'd look mm -hmm. at them like you would an infant or an elder or somebody who is very, very ill, even if they're not, because that's how our dosing would go like slow and low. And so those are things that just kind of put your, your like hang your hat on. The other thing is no matter what anybody thinks, it's always the food and the owner. <laughs> like, no, even if it's a broken leg, like it's always the food and the owner. Like, why did that dog get a broken leg, but the other ones didn't? Um, and so, so food, energetics, and getting to know, have a personal relationship with the environment around you, the animals that were around you, I think are the, a good start for sure. Yeah, that's such a good point. And I love what you're saying too, about how, even if people aren't already kind of tuned into energetics or constitutions or what those mean and what they are, just by noticing the habits mm -hmm. of the animals that you're around. Like you said, if there's a dog who's always laying on cold tile to mm -hmm. cool down, like I have a dog who definitely does that. As I noticed that when we come in from running around, he just like flips back and forth over and over on the tile because he gets overheated mm -hmm. a lot more quickly than our other dog does. Um, so just to, to notice those habits. So the first step seems like it's kind of awareness, just like you said, forming these bonds with the animals, noticing what their normal um, sort of characteristics and actions and energetics may be. And then we're able to tune in a little bit more when something seems off with that. It does make a difference because we know that we have Dr. Google now and Dr. <laughs> Google does not know that nettles isn't for everybody, even though we like to make the joke that it's always nettles. That's always the answer. And mm -hmm. so the two dogs that you just described, one that does that and one that doesn't, well, the nettle can be slightly drying. Therefore, it would increase the heat probably in the one dog, but not in the other. And so you can't Google what is the herb for such and such. That doesn't make any sense. In, in the example that you just gave just with two animals in your house at, you know, at the same time. So it's something to just always keep in mind being aware of patterns or thinking about in the wild, why they would have done that thing and trying to put yourself in that mindset for sure. Always, if we did special populations that we will, if we're on the, the de defense that way, we will have a safe outcome. So every herb isn't for every dog regardless or every animal um, to what Dr. Google says, seeing an energetic pattern is more important, even if you're not realizing what we're talking about, just some basic things for sure. Right. Definitely. And Dr. Google can also be really alarmist sometimes, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it's like, no matter what it is, you look it up on Google and it's the worst possible fear-based decision. Yeah. Everything is cancer. The yeah. photos right, exactly. are unbelievable. <laughs> we were just doing photos in clinic the other day. And I was like, do you want to see it? Do you really want to see it? It was so horrifying. It's always the worst case scenario. It is. You look up, yeah. you know, like, oh, did my dog get stung by a bee? And it's like, nope, it's probably a toe tumor. And you're like, what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah for crazy. sure. It's this special scorpion that only stings at night. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. So, so it's something that uh, people like to use the, like the new superfood or the new thing, all dogs must have that. It's just not, 
that's not the way it is. It's just like every person doesn't love cheese. Like it's not, that's not the way Most it is. Most people are from this planet. No, that's not. Yeah, I agree with you for sure. <laughs> so that's, that's an important thing to think about if you were venturing in and you didn't have any background. And I know um, I have, we have a lot of, which it's always alarming to me. I mean, Bob, I understand because he's the great Dr. Bob Lindy. And so I understand people calling him up and he's on TV and things like that. But when, when I have a vet call me and ask me questions, I'm always laughing about it because usually I don't have shoes on and I'm like totally the dirty footed hippie, even though we're in a <laughs> clinical forum, but I am like that hippie herbalist. And they'll say, how did you know to do that? They would say, how did you make that work? We thought that we couldn't do that. And I'll literally say, well, well, really, I, I didn't care what you labeled the animal with. I looked at what was going on and tried to bring it into balance. Mm -hmm. And so that was the thought process behind it. So that's a good rule of thumb to think about for sure, even with choosing food and stuff like that. I, and, you know, I think it is, we, we have parlor tricks for lack of a better we, name. We because, do. Because uh, of, for both of us, even though we, we have, you know, I come more from that Chinese uh, energetic standpoint of things. Renee uh, has a, you know, a really great control of the Western energetic ideas. And so they're the same thing with different funny words, but the idea that we have a diagnostic system outside of that veterinary or medical construct as a way to evaluate um, whatever critters in front of us. And, and it allows for us to make huge leaps that without the blood work, without the, the MRI. And it's a system that's not taught often enough to herbalists, um, but especially those are not conversations that veterinarians are getting in veterinary school. And, and you know, veterinary, uh, veterinarians are brilliant. It's one of the hardest schools to get up there, that in dentistry, oddly enough. Uh, yeah. and, and so the standards for them to be really smart people is huge. and. And yet they only know what they know. And mm -hmm. where us as herbalists, we tend to only learn about one genus and species, you know, the two-legged ones. They have to learn uh, the basics of all of these different species. And obviously they specialize. Um, they're, you know, a lot of them do specialize in exotic critters where they get all kinds of interesting stuff. And But like Renee said, they're mostly doing dogs and cats. And our, our system of energetics, of using that power of observation, um really allows us this very unique approach a more focused way to give herbs to spot dietary issues um and have successes that sometimes they don't see because they only know i do surgery i do injections i give drugs and if that doesn't match the symptom then i don't know what to do mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and we've got such a broader scope of options available to us as herbalists um, and sometimes uh, some of them are very alternative and not accepted by medical practice. The idea of gut permeability and the importance of digestion in the gut is just now being accepted by the, the mainstream medical community, something that crazy alternative practitioners have been screaming about for a hundred years, literally. Uh, and those concepts are just starting to materialize in the veterinary world. And so things like probiotics for dogs and cats and, and for any critter for that matter, uh, the, the idea of, you know, the quality of the food that not everything just because it's approved for pet uh, feed is a good choice um, makes such a dramatic impact. And I think most folks who are in the, the herbal realm 
are quick to embrace the idea that our emotions that are around us, as well as our own emotions, have a physical response in our body and create a lot of illness. And I don't think people, it goes back to, you know, ever had those college philosophy classes where, you know, do animals have a soul or not? Do they have emotions? And for those of us who are critter owners, they like, do. oh, heck yeah. Of course they do. Uh, yeah. And, and <laughs> I would say all the critters, and whether that's a, a snake, a bird, or a dog, they have personalities and they have emotions. And in that realm, those emotions uh, of grief and loss and happiness and fear show up as physical symptoms. And also if there's turmoil in a household, that there is turmoil in them that will affect their physical wellness. And those are concepts that I don't think veterinarians take into account. We we frequently ask us- I don't the, know if they can. Yeah. Yeah, we, like we it's often, so rushing. Yeah, yeah. We, we're always asking questions like, has there been any change in the household? And we frequently find illnesses because people have moved, mm -hmm. uh, because mm -hmm. there's been a, a kid's gone off to college. Dog doesn't understand going off to college. <laughs> they the just know, yeah, the, their their primary mm -hmm. fun and enjoyment left the pack and never came back. Is a, an emotional trauma that has to be addressed in some form or fashion. Anna Claire, you'd uh, you'd said, like like we had introed this this whole little spiel by you saying like why would it be important for people to use herbs with their pets and. I, I hate listening to a lecture where, there, where I don't like actually give tangible things other than us just philosophizing about it. And so I want to say there, there's two huge reasons, one of which is animals in our area, even the outside animals that are that are wild, like just say squirrels and birds, they're an outside expression of what is going on internally in your environment. So you can look to those cues to the health of your world, the health of your house, or the health of your environment. So that's really important to understand what you see is a symptom of what is going on with you. But the second thing is vets are expensive. There's like, that. yeah, like, like, <laughs> how about this is, we shouldn't be introducing more chemicals. Dogs shouldn't be peeing out antibiotics into the waterways, just like humans shouldn't be, or, or anything like that, like more chemical exposure, so expensive. I mean, normal over-the-counters are expensive. Why wouldn't you want to be able to walk into your your herb cabinet and grab something and be able to fix something? I mean, I think that's something we all should do that that we're I, I think we should all not need Walgreens. Like I think that that's mm -hmm. so so that's a, a huge reason why people should be interested in some just some basic herbs, like even culinary herbs can go a long way for all of our health, let alone, but watching in our pets as an like Bob was saying as an external expression of the health of the environment, even if it's your closed home. That's an important reason to be able to alter that. It's gonna change your mood. It's gonna make your life better to make your other your, your other loved one's lives better for sure. And so it's a good tell. It's like a canary in the coal mine, so to speak. That would, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and, you know, something that I've noticed just with my dogs and I'm sure that other people um, with pets can speak to this too, is how much of, of our emotions and processes they take on. And, you know, I've actually been really fortunate to find a great holistic vet in my area. 
and she's amazing. And she does some acupuncture. She does some energetic work. She does a lot of homeopathy and, and she's very affordable also. And so it's been really nice that if there's something that I haven't been able to address with my working knowledge of herbs, I've been able to turn to her and ask, you know, well, well, what can I use for this instance? And I think it's such a great point that you mentioned too, you know, it, it is an expense and sometimes there's a time and a place for that. Right. Um, mm-hmm. you know, if an emergency surgery is needed, well, then sometimes that's the route that you have to go. Absolutely. And if it's something that is pretty minimal, like an insect sting or even, you know, things that maybe strains and, and even sprains sometimes or, or whatever the case may be like, those are often things that we can at least treat initially or work with, and then just see what happens depending on the severity of the situation. So to not have to run to the vet for every single little thing can not only save us money, but build that bond deeper. And, and it's empowering, I think, to, to the, the person who is with the pet and probably also to the pet to just realize, you know, cause there's a lot of fear oftentimes for a lot of animals when they do have to go to the vet and get in the car and walk in the office and all these it's an things ordeal for everybody. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It can be very traumatizing. And, um, yeah. So, you know, there's so many different directions and so many different modalities, but I think one of the things that you've mentioned that feels like a pretty key place to start is this idea of food. Mm -hmm. um, food for animals and how big of a role that can play in the overall health. So I don't know if you want to maybe just speak to that for a few minutes. Um, I I think in, in Bob interrupt for any reason, I think that the most important thing when we're dealing with pet food, we do understand expense, the family food we make compromises on Uh, lots of moms every year have to depend on fast food and people are, are upset about it and they don't understand that that we only have the money that we have. And so even with a, a pet food that is local and um, like just say a Walmart food or a Publix food or any grocery store food, the most important thing is what I call transparency. And so if they're trying to tell you about their ingredients, if they're excited to tell you about their ingredients, then I think that that's the most important route to go. So an example that I always like to give is so people are big into the whole raw food now, which everybody would think would be better. So, so let's say sockeye salmon. So if I had salmon, whole salmon fish on the back of a label, and I had salmon, um, let's say byproduct, and it was sockeye salmon byproduct on the back of a label, the smart thing in us would be that we would want the whole salmon fish, but actually it's not. By them saying the word sockeye salmon, even if it was going to be meal or byproduct, that means it only can be the sockeye salmon versus if it says whole fish product or whole salmon product, it can be anything that was scooped up with that fish off of the slaughter floor for humans. Mm -hmm. So that a human um, distributor could be cutting away waste and gathering it all up and the waste then goes into the food. And that looks like whole fish because it wasn't made into a meal. Whereas the transparency of saying, I want you to know I'm only using sockeye salmon also limits what can go in there. So you can get a a food that's all meal or all um, stuff that you wouldn't naturally say you would want in there, but because they're naming it, it's actually a pure food 
than ambiguous whole products. Does that make sense? So transparency mm -hmm. in the labeling. I think that's something to remember. And I think probably, you know, we all, cost always figures into the mix. And mm -hmm. that's a terrible thing to say, but that's true. Like, yes, everybody should eat uh, organic and, you know, locally sourced. That's great if you can afford it, if that's available in your community. And so whether we're talking uh, people or critters, we have to recognize that, not everybody's independently wealthy. And so figuring in what's the best food that I can afford, um, one of the things that we look at uh, is the introduction of grains uh, into the diet. This and is a huge issue. too often we see mm -hmm. fillers and we see grains uh, as the top three uh, first few products mm -hmm. on a label. Um, and oddly enough, we're seeing colors added so the artificial colors added we're seeing sugars added and i want to say with very few exceptions when we start to see um, digestive issues autoimmune issues skin issues um, that the primary driver of that is poor quality foods and you know we'll we'll spare naming the primary the major brand names but most of the major brand names are ones that no dog or cat should ever eat. I, I laugh because you and I, like, I literally was going to say what you just said. Like, we, we're so funny that we like, so, so, so one of the things that we think about is we get these dog foods or just, sorry, animal foods. We get these animal foods that have all these beautiful things that were added to them on the front. They want to brag about. They'll be like, um, you know, extra folic acid, extra vitamin B, like whatever. It's usually to discount or to, to reverse what the first ingredients yeah. were. Yeah. Which is the same as our bread. You know, if you buy a loaf of bread. And it's, it's fortified. Well, it's because we took all the nutrients right. out. Right, because you'd already stripped it before that. Oh, so you got to oh, add it back in, in a synthetic manner. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure the dog behind us here really doesn't care what color uh, his food is. No, no, he eats <laughs> chicken poop. And that's a really bad color. And so I think that he's fine with color. Um, right. I, I will say in the scheme of caring for fish, that's my number one problem is the fish food is colored. Like if you ever see these beautiful flakes that are like red and green and blue. So all of our aquatic stuff, so our turtles, um, our hermit crabs, our fish, anything that's in a wet tank, their food's usually colored. And there's no, like, I don't even understand that. And we know it causes cancer. I had a hermit crab that was 23 years old. Like people don't understand. I guess they just discount it that they don't understand that like this is a living creature that we've put in a jail. We have an obligation to care for it the best that we can. Um, the other thing that that we think about with that is that when we're adding stuff in, we have to like Bob said, the carbohydrates, we have to understand what that animal originally would have been eating. So again, I, I just referenced earlier the sweet potato thing. There is no cow or no dog or or no cat that is digging up a sweet potato like that's just not happening and so what they would have been doing is eating the animals that were eating the sweet potato so what animals were eating the sweet potato and then only the animals that would be hunting that animal would ever get a chance to have a slightly digested or cooked sweet potato in them. That's the way to look at it. So when you're looking at corn as the next ingredient, a cat's never, ever, ever going to get corn unless it chased a rat down. Mm -hmm. And so it's an interesting thing to, to think about. They wanna brag about the ingredients as being great. They would have been great for us, 
but not for the certain animals that we're, we're look, hunting them down. And so looking at and really thinking about who do you have in your life sitting there? I was just recently looking up and Bob's going to be like, nope. Um, I was just recently looking up Maine Coon cats because I wanted to get a cat that was big enough to play with the dog. Uh -huh. so I needed like a 35 pound cat. So I was looking at the Viking cats and the main cats. We're both very allergic, but I'm on this cat kick where I just love. Yeah, I love like just seeing Bob's face right now. Totally. It's great. Like oh, he's like, nope. Uh -uh. <laughs> and the cats look like, uh, like almost as big as the dog. Like I'm like, oh, I want that cat. Like the people can barely hold it. That cat would have been chasing down an item that was, that was huge and exaggerated versus a, a Siamese cat like we have to look about where they were coming from and what vegetables those things would have been getting because our clinic is jokingly considered to be the clinic of last resort because we get these things where like we've had four rounds of chemo we've had cancer for 15 years now the doctors won't do anything what are you going to do and he had hit on this thing of Bob, Bob had hit on this thing of the majority of all the horrible things that we see come from a lifetime of crappy food and again it's usually additives it's not necessary you don't have to do that just basic and transparent is the way to go so when we get a like like labs we'll use labradors because i have one on my shoulder right here mm -hmm. and so when we get it a labrador labrador retrievers tend to be flimmy what we call flimmy so as they get up in age they get like nodules they get like fatty lipomas which in itself is not an issue it's just gross and not correct, um, those can turn to something that's a bigger problem almost 100% of the time. It's because of the food leading up to it. And so if we can stop this ahead of time, if we can look at the fact that the dogs would have been getting their herbs, all of us have had a dog or a cat eat a plant outside when its tummy was upset. And so if we can understand it would have gotten its herbal medicine on its own by what it was eating, it would have gone more after a certain, this sounds ridiculous, but sharks in this one area love in Bimini. Hammerhead sharks in Bimini love stingrays because they're trying to fatten up for a journey they have to make. So they'll mm -hmm. go down their line, stop in Bimini, like gorge themselves on stingrays and then keep going. So my point is they knew at that time they needed extra stingrays to make it, to deliver their pups and make it to the next ground. And so the animals know those are the herbs we need to start reintroducing to them. So dark leafy greens, just like with us, things like nettles, things like dandelions, stuff that would have been munched on by the animal that they were chasing down. So, so Cody, who just got down off and chased Bob a little bit, <laughs> he was a mastiff. So he wouldn't have run a long way. I mean, those things are like cinder blocks. They're lazy and they're big. They're like bears. So mm -hmm. they wouldn't have chased down a rat. That would have been too stealthy for it. It would have been eating salmon that came up during spawning. It would have been eating something after a bear, like a bear would have gotten a kill and it would have gone after it. So things like um, hawthorn berries, honey, blueberries that would have been in something a bear would have been eating or a bear would have been chasing what a deer a bear would have gotten deer so what the deer would have been nibbling on so when we look at medicines for that animal we're going to be looking at heart medicines things that are drying to a phlegmy body stuff a deer would have eaten or a bear would have eaten um, dark vegetables from the ocean salmon things that would have pulled up on the side of the river in a cold area so that's the way we're going to be choosing their foods. So lamb isn't for everybody. Chicken isn't for everybody. A mastiff never would have come in contact with a chicken ever mm -hmm. in its life. So it would have been eating like um, dark game food. It would have been in cold environment. So we wanted something that had a lot of 
dark minerals in it. So dark, dark meat type of thing. And so, you know, one of the places we see uh, um, people buy the most expensive, perfect food yeah. and, and it's perfectly blended for the type of critter. And then they buy crappy treats. And, oh my gosh. It's always the treats. Oh, again, and, the, the parents are always the issue. Yeah, it's always yeah. the treats. And so, you know, we <laughs> yeah. guilt ourselves that we have to give a treat every two seconds and that's a, a huge one. And of course, we're never guilty of this. I was going to say, Cody loves cheddar cheese and chips with black olives on them. Where was he hunting that? Like, yeah. And, yeah. and that's the other thing. Clearly, is, it's a natural, I, natural uh, craving. Whatever yes. I'm eating, without a doubt, our puppy wants some too. And so I'll take a bite. He gets a bite. And that that obviously is not to their benefit. Um, so it's oftentimes when we ask about foods uh, for a critter they go oh and, and we're like yeah that's great i wish i could afford that great food and then when we explore that a little bit more there's a an eight-year-old hand and the asparagus off the plate under the table mm -hmm. um so we really have to and, and the same is true of people you know it's like breakfast lunch and dinner i'm perfect i eat only the best foods and then it's the snacks at 10 o'clock at night that kill me mm -hmm. uh right. and, and so the the same is true when we start questioning those kinds of issues um that sneaks in a lot and the other thing is depending on whether a, a critter is an indoor or outdoor um their exposure to neighbor's snacks oh my god can i tell something about this listen okay so so you you know as well enough that the community does not that we don't know who we're talking to to know that like we're insane nerds we're insane ner herbal nerds and so sometimes when i'm on the spin bike i watch documentaries instead of spin stuff or music and so i was i was watching this thing that was made by pvs about i got cats and this little hamlet that had these cats all mic'd up and pictured up and this one family that thought their cat never left the house actually every single day was going to three or four houses and finishing the bowls out of three or four houses <laughs> and coming back and it wasn't scared or upset or stressed so they they were under the thought process that this was a regular thing that had been going on for years where the owners never thought it left the house so he's he's totally right oh, like the stuff they get outside my, yeah and you don't know this my my grandmother was a, a critter whisperer she lived in a nice part of cincinnati a million years ago and literally animals of all types would wander in and basically knock on the back door and like she's had horses walk up deer that would be injured would come for her help That's nice. and, and all the neighborhood dogs Explains and cats you a little bit right <laughs> and, and it was there was always after dinner there were three dogs from three families that would come by and sit patiently out the back door for them to get their separate trays unbeknownst to the how people funny. whose dogs those were yeah. she didn't have any of her own pets and, and so there's oftentimes a lot of questioning we forget to to mm -hmm. explore when we're like i know it's the diet i know that skin yeah. rash is a dietary thing all of those fatty lipomas and we just we have to explore a little harder sometimes and that's always a challenge you know mm -hmm. uh i think all of us you know for us as as puppy owners, sorry, to me, all dogs are puppies. I don't care how old they are. <laughs> um, the, the reality is we do the very best we can, but we sometimes don't notice how many yummy things that we see so, under the table. So like to reiterate this situation, like with the food, transparency is the most important thing. So that if you get um, a lesser grade food in your eyes, you're getting this grocery store food that's not this bougie in the cooler thing. 
if it's trying to name its items out, if it's trying to say um, Chinese sweet potatoes or whatever, like or Yukon gold potatoes, even if it's the wrong ingredient, at least you can trust the company's trying. And even if it's the wrong um, function, like meal versus whole, if it's trying to name it out, that means it's proud of its ingredients and you can trust the thought process of what's going on there. The second thing that's the most important is all of our animals get too much sugar and sugars in the form of carbohydrates. So I don't care if it's sweet potatoes that are the best thing in the world for everybody, if it's a root vegetable or if it's a starchy vegetable like pea protein, everybody's all into pea protein right now. It's mm -hmm. going to produce later on in life extra fatty lipomas, extra phlegm, extra inflammation in the joints, too much sugar. And that sugar originally would have been eaten up by another item and pre-digested. So some of it would have been run out, some of those starches. And then the, the third thing is coloring or additives of any kind. Because one of the things we do for our clinical herbalists is teach them about the really poor nutritional labeling of supplements. So they don't realize that some of the additives that go into the food are fueled with diesel fuel or have um, extra things like, like they're not the right kind of that item. And so anytime a food is having to put a large amount of supplementation in it and they're bragging about it, that's actually a problem because your food should provide that. Mm -hmm. And so what's going on that your food's not providing that or they see a side effect that they need to counter kind of. So, so transparency, color and additives are the most important thing regardless of what you need to get. The only other thing I would add to that was the, the craze right now is raw, 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 raw. And what everybody doesn't understand is zero, zero of the vegetables should be raw unless you're a bird and you're eating seeds. And even within that, there's a fermenting issue to them that they would have eaten the berry that was around the seed. The berry and the seed would have slightly started to break down with the acid that was in the sugar of the berry and then the seed would have been produced out. It wouldn't be sitting there picking the seed out alone. It would have been eating stuff with it. And so thinking of it that way as well. And so, so I think that with the food that would be your general, like that's a conversation that literally takes three or four hours sometimes when we process through labels. So that's a general way to think about it, that raw meat, good, raw, anything else, not so much. You need to cook mm -hmm. that down. Yeah, for sure. And so it's really just like, as people become more in tune with the food that they're eating, looking at labels, like that's the first step is just looking mm -hmm. at the labels, seeing what's on there the readability of it, you know, if it's got all yes. these like crazy names that you have no idea what they are, like, that can be a red flag. Yep. But yeah, again, like the additives, like a dog doesn't care if it's food is blue or red. In fact, right. you know, like that's, mm -hmm. they're never going to find, you know, like blue meat in the wild. It just doesn't happen. So, um, so yeah, just looking at these labels and, and making a decision based from there, making the best decision that you have, that you can with the resources that you have is a really good place to start. Um, so moving on from the food sector, um, I wonder if there are maybe a handful of some of your favorite herbs, like some of your go-tos for 100%. some of the different animals that you work with. Yeah. Do you, yeah. We're going to say the <laughs> same know, thing. I, yeah, I'm say, gonna... and, and not, not technically an, an herb, but I, for two-legged and four-leggeds, I frequently start with probiotics <laughs> that so often when, you know, skin conditions are very, very, here in Florida, 
because we don't get frost, the, the fleas never end. They just get worse. You know, we've got mosquitoes are, are swarming around us all. And so for the, the dogs and cats, they're just handing out antibiotics and steroids for those guys uh, endlessly, especially in the summertime. Do you count enzymes in that too, or just yeah, probiotics straight? Probiotics okay. primarily. Um, and so a lot of times when a dog's, uh, and sorry, I'm picking on the dogs, um, but when the dogs have gone through multiple rounds of antibiotics for any reason, we'll oftentimes start with a pet specific uh, probiotic. And there's many out there, we don't even have a preference. Um, because we need to make sure that if we are giving them herbs, if we buy the best food in town, that their ability to digest and absorb is vital for its success. So that that's sometimes the very first thing we do for two and four legged. Let me interrupt you a tiny bit with that too, if you weren't finished, I'm sorry. Um, it's important and why Bob's saying that, because you said favorite herbs, is if we then give them an herb and they're not digesting it, what does it matter? So we need to make sure that digestion is working correctly. And so I do agree with that. And if it's a puppy mill puppy, then it's an issue. If it was a rescue puppy, it's going to be an issue because it's going to be nervous. And so that is a good place to start with a probiotic, enzymes, anything that is just making sure that the animal's working correctly. And this goes all the way across our our reptiles, our birds, all of them. And um, even our, our zoo animals, like you said, you, you had started out working in a zoo field, that they're in captivity in the best of circumstances. Um, no matter how well we care for them, they're still weirdly in captivity and we can't kind of mm -hmm. make it the way, yeah. And so they're not getting the same flora and fauna that they would have been getting in the wild by eating things that had been fermenting or rotting. And so that's good. But I think that for herbals, our, our number one thing would always be, it's the big joke that yeah. it's it's always nettles and it's never lupus. So <laughs> it's it's always nettles <laughs> at first because, and, and Bob uh, um, kind of referenced it here and almost always we see out, but here especially allergies are a huge thing. Histamine responses are a huge thing that now the epidemic of all animals that we're getting is they really look very autoimmune. Like all of them look like they're having autoimmune issues. All of them look like they're having um, hyperinflammatory responses to things. So nettles is to me, one of the most important greens that we can put into their food. And I would say finding it out for the top slot with that would be burdock. Oh, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. We hand those out a lot. Absolutely. And so to think about like, let's go back real quick to what we were talking about with the energetics. You don't have to be an herbalist to understand that um, like you drink black tea and sometimes it can dry you out. So that concept. So nettles has a drying component to it. And the big joke is, like I said, it's always nettles. It's, it isn't nettles if you're in Colorado and you're already dry, you're going to poof into dust and fall on the ground. And so, so understanding that the nettles from the real flimmy fatty lipoma dog or animal or oozing cat, oozing um, illness thing would be different. We would just give it to them dry on their food, like just sprinkle it onto their food or with an egg. But the nettles for a dry animal or a hot animal, it would always be in some kind of fluid. It would always be with the egg. It would always be as a tisson, as an infusion. It would always be with extra fluid to kind of counteract that. And so just understanding that energetic construct within Renee the nettles. brought up a really good point that like here in Florida, it's hot and humid. Even in the wintertime where it's drier, it's still humid mm -hmm. compared to most other places in, in the world. And so 
we use nettles probably a lots of mosquitoes and noceums and things like that but b because we're in this hot damp environment with lots of rain and so forth where and exactly the 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 example we use all the time somewhere in the mountains or the desert you know colorado or something where it's already a dry environment we'd probably be relying more heavily on something like burdock uh, and less so on the nettles because we don't want to cause a, a drier condition. We don't want constipation or dry, itchy skin uh, from that issue. So creating that balanced formula so, to address uh, some of the more common issues in, in that particular environment. So let's do nettles real quick, like two or three things, and then burdock real quick, two or three things. Both of those things, if I'm a Western construct and uh, every other herbal construct are considered food. And so that's that's really a safe thing always when we go with a food thought process. For nettles in particular, so many ways that we can use that. Um, it could be sprinkled right on top of a hot spot, especially one that's been oozing to help cut down the heat, the inflammatory response, and to dry up any kind of microphage overload, which is considered to be pus eventually and can be um, something that gets infected. The dog licking it off or a cat licking it off is not gonna be an issue. If we're giving it to a bird, we need to make sure we do something, and this falls in a compliance category, something that I love with the birds. The birds are, are so prissy and so persnickety that we need to make sure that we dust them. If we make it into a fine dust and we poof it onto their feet, they'll get mad and they'll rub it off with their claw up into their nose and they'll get it up into their sinus passages. So that's one of the best ways that we can use it. Any skin condition that has something that looks like a, an inflammatory allergy response, like a Benadryl, like an herbal Benadryl. So something that could be washing out an eye, us just eating it. The, the rule of thumb for dogs and cats is that if it smells horrible, if it smells like a dead animal, like a dead fish, that the dogs will love it more and want to roll in it. And so that would be a, a really strong nettles thing smells kind of earthy like a dead fish mm -hmm. and the cats are prima donnas and think that if anything smells even remotely bad it, they're going to of course die immediately dramatically and on the floor <laughs> and so we have to slightly introduce that but we can talk a little bit about compliance with that so the burdock we're going to look at the burdock to restructure any digestion to help with any kind of flora and fauna issue leaky gut think things like um pre and probiotic with a burdock, as well as anything skin. And we see the skin on all of our animals, our snakes, our birds, our cats, our dogs, as a precursor to its internal health. Lots of boils, lots of oozing patches, lots of red. And so we're gonna feed that both in um, a topical and an internal to all of those pets as anything skin related. Also as an ophthalmic, for washing eyes, cleaning eyes, we get a lot of allergy stuff, super big for washing wounds for either of those things. Do you have anything to say about like the burdock hmm. in the digestion? It's something that if you're if you're going to making your animals food because you're trying to do raw stuff, it's a good vegetable to throw in yeah. for sure. And, mm -hmm. and, and something that's fairly safe for everybody and will help with any skin condition. I know in, in- Well, and I will say, recognizing in a very simplistic manner the the both burdock and nettles are nourishing nettles is drying burdock is moistening so the, and so putting yeah. those mm -hmm. together based on how your critter presents in the right ratio allows for the greatest success in using those two mm -hmm. and frequently for 
even beyond the idea of skin conditions, it has so much benefit for just, you know, creating a healthy critter. It's not wrong to add small amounts in just as a, a, a an additive into the regular food. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it helps to balance things out that are the hot, cold, wet, dry, for sure. A hundred percent. I think when we look at all of our animals, and I hate to say it this way because it does come out a little sassy, but I feel like all of our animals are in captivity. Like we've put them into these situations. We've put the bird in the cage or the cat in the house that they would have been wild and roaming. And so it's our responsibility to deal with them. When we do that, we see certain patterns of conditions as epidemics. Now, one, we see lots and lots and lots of allergies, walking outside, walking on yards that aren't safe. And so washes of either of those but we also see a great amount of neurological issues based on medications that they almost have to take, like rabies vaccine or heartworm medicine or flea medicine. That really is a necessity for a lot of our animals. We just, this is not a story I'll tell because it's just too long, but we just had one of our our students bring us pictures of um, a turkey. a really crazy turkey that she seems to be the dumping ground for animals they don't know what to do with. But Mm. I think it actually got bit by mosquitoes and has like basically what West Nile virus or something similar to that. Like, I think that's what happened. So my point is the exposure to mosquitoes and heartworm and things like that is big. So, so the neurological issues that come with that, we said way more seizures than we should. We have way more trimmering than we should way more, what doctors are labeling as dysplasia, that's really not being able to control the limbs and not actual dysplasia. So herbs for that, that are really good, that those animals would have come in contact with in the wild would be like milky oat tops and oats in general, like an oat straw, 100% for that. That I think that that's a big one that would go to balancing out and helping to create a good energetic pattern as well. Plus that's something that they would have found on their own as a bird, as a reptile eating a mouse, or as a, a dog or a cat hunting, I think that they would have come up with that too. So oat straws, oat seed, milky oat tops, really heavier hitters to any kind of neurological dysfunction that we have. Absolutely. What do you think about a neurological thing? You know, one of the, the problems, that, and I would say it's true somewhat with humans, but especially with uh, pets, is there's kind of a one size fits all. Um, they, they break down the categories, like if we're giving a, a rabies vaccine mm-hmm. or we're doing a flea medication or um, really basic stuff, the range in weight is how we usually judge it is huge. When you look at the difference between a 15 pound dog and a 35 pound dog, they're getting the same medication that's like a, a four-year-old and an 18-year-old, you know, <laughs> when we look at just the the, the amount of, of medication. That's for everything. That's vaccines and, and everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so what we find is some of those smaller dogs or dogs with a different metabolism, because they're, again, just saying dog and cat, and mm-hmm. sometimes they separate those, you know, species. But the, the reality is uh, uh, a Springer Spaniel versus a, a, an a Italian Greyhound, mm-hmm. they might weigh the same, but the reality is the metabolisms and the way that nervous system will respond to that is dramatically different. So we're actually seeing, uh, we just had a, a, a dog in clinic the other day 
that mm-hmm. they thought it had MS or some other autoimmune disorder. And when we started to look at it, the timing was whenever they gave the flea medication. Yeah, literally. And it's a very mm-hmm. well documented, but nobody talks about it, that dogs and cats both, especially when they're at one end or the other of that scale or a kind of that thin wiry constitution, mm-hmm. um, tend to have neurological issues associated with their medications. Um, one of the things that we, we do also with things like rabies vaccine and some of the other vaccines that may be required is we just automatically give them to them. Uh, and it's like, can you imagine if all of your childhood vaccinations you had to get every year? Um, that would be a little horrifying. <laughs> so we see. And, and so one of the things that we encourage, we try to educate the, the critter owners a lot is you're allowed to ask for a blood draw to check for titers, yeah. i.e. Mm-hmm. making sure that 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 critter may already from that first vaccination at a younger age, may be good for four or five years and not need another vaccination. Um, so, you know, asking harder questions sometimes of our veterinarians uh, and looking for alternatives in, in the same way, certain things are required um, either by law or just for good generalized care of our critters but it doesn't mean we have to do the same dosing scheduling. You know, we talk about vaccines sometimes. It's like, sometimes it's a good idea, sometimes it's a bad idea, but we don't have to follow this universal uh, uh, vaccination schedule for every child. They're not all the same and and have different needs and requirements. So thinking a little harder, exploring that a little bit more with our our critters uh, and watching out for those, those telltale neurological kinds of issues uh, can be a big deal. The other place we see a lot of neurologics, uh, neurological issues as well is because mosquitoes, yay, Florida, the tropics, um, mm-hmm. people are using DEET containing products. Uh, or like, sorry, I, I have my share of sense, chemical sensitivities, thanks military. Um, but spraying down a dog with something like DEET, which is a, a nervous system disrupting thing, the thought is correct. Let's keep the mosquitoes off the dog. It, it's driving them nuts. But almost guaranteed to cause some neurological issues with the dog, frequently skin issues. Also, we forget um, if your yard is being sprayed with chemicals, um, you know, super common. War- Florida, yards on your walk. The park, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if that dog is walking, their whole belly, their paws, their nose, their face are all up inside of that. Even in a windy place, the dust from across the street or off a street that maybe just got a new uh, asphalt put down is going to affect them. Uh, the other one, and I've seen this happen more often than not, people move to a new house. And before you move into an apartment or a house, the landlord is uh, graciously spraying with horrible toxic uh, anti-bug stuff, a new carpet, and a new yeah. carpeting, all of these things are outgassing that you personally may not be affected by, but that mm-hmm. critter that's on the uh, brand new hardwood floor, or vinyl tile floor, that's uh, outgassing all of those glues and adhesives can be major issues that won't affect every dog in the house uh, or every critter. Um, and it may take a month or two or three even to, to, to start to materialize a symptom. So it's mm-hmm. that changing the the pack and the not just the pack order but also the this new den that we live in uh, can have a dramatic impact on them and we frequently see neurological issues with that so and sorry anna claire you want to go yeah no well i just have a question um sure. so 
milky oats we know to be such a such an amazing tonic for the neurological for the nervous system um and you mentioned blending that in using it on its own or blending it in with the nettles or burdock um and so i'm wondering um i know nettles and and oats or oat straw they're both fairly easy to come by for a lot of people. And you mentioned they could just sprinkle it over the food. Sometimes it can be harder to find fresh burdock to like chop up and add to food. So in that in that instance where people may not have access to fresh burdock, would you recommend making a decoction or like a strong tea so, and putting that over food? Or yeah, well, so absolutely. So we'll, we can talk about that a little bit as well. So the first thing is for anybody who doesn't know, it's gobo in a Chinese market. If you have any kind of Chinese market near you at all, you can usually walk in and get what's gobo. And it should be light in color, firm like a carrot, and look like you want to eat it. If it doesn't, that's a bad piece. Just like think choosing a carrot, mm -hmm. that if you chose a carrot that was floppy and brown, you would be like picking the worst one in the bunch. And so first of all, there's that. Second of all, it's one of those things that doesn't follow our rules for learning herbalism, where like roots are hard and need to be decocted. It happens to be a food reservoir and not really a taproot type of thing. So that it's it's a very edible thing just with a little bit of rehydration. That when I am doing this for our class and it's our first year class and I'm having them taste their herbs, that I will readily sit with the jar and pick the dried burdock out and eat it after it's been slightly soaked in a, a light infusion. So absolutely, you could not only make an infusion or a decoction, save it in um, ice cube trays for one ounce portions in a Ziploc bag for later on. You could do it one time for six months if you wanted to. You could also give them that rehydrated. It's very chewable, very malleable. It's like eating a carrot. You could mm. totally chew up a dry one if you wanted to. And any way that the animal will take it, because that one's considered a food, is correct. Like it's something that you, there's little tricks for all of it. I can, I can make anybody eat anything. I, I blame that on being a girl from the South. <laughs> I make good food. I make you eat anything. I can find some way to get it in you bacon fat always. Um, and so, okay. so absolutely um, powdering it up, making an infusion or decoction and or saving the rehydrated bits, however you want to go with that, because you can also, if you're, if you're going to be making food, you can also use it as one of your vegetables in the food, like the nettles. And, and mm -hmm. I will say we frequently, um, a, a, you know, we love puppies. We have a puppy. Um, and it's important when we start to look at different genus and different critters, um, some of these suggestions we have to use a little bit more caution and reservation with. And a good example, probably the second most common critter to have is a cat. And cats tend to have uh, kidney and urinary mm -hmm. issues just as a, as a, spe as a genus. They, they tend to have more of those. So too much mineralization, too yep. much nettles, too much uh, oats can potentially, especially as an aging cat, uh, that can potentiate things like kidney stones uh, on rarer occasions, but something to pay attention to that we think about not just its energetics, but sometimes its, its constituents like uh, mineralization, um, that we, we use a little extra caution. With so that. to Bob's point, we would be doing a light infusion versus a heavy decoction for like Mastiff Cody. So that mm -hmm. that would be a way to control that, that we were doing slow and low. They metabolize faster as well. And they're less likely to have any vegetables, way, letter, way less vegetable count than even a snake that would be consuming mice that would be eating a lot of vegetables. So that cats have the least vegetables as everybody. So their dosing is going to be a little bit lower. And we're going to 
be more cautious about the way that their body digests minerals. Agreed. That was a good point for sure. Mm -hmm. So light infusions for the, the cats, the cats are dramatic. You have to really work with them to get them to eat anything, or you have to stick their paws in it so that they get mad at you and lick it off. So right. you can stick your paws right in a powder. Like you put the burdock in your coffee grinder and then stick its paw in it. And then you get home. And then they have it. to lick it off. Yeah. 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 You know, it's it a little sneaky sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is like probably the greatest challenge you, especially with herbs for a chronic condition where you might be dosing them every day, maybe even twice a day. Um, you don't want to have to put your animal in a headlock and force the pill in their mouth and, I don't know. That's, dogs are smart. Like, like some traumatic experience. Yeah, right. exactly, and, exactly. And so looking at different ways to get the medicine into them is super important to not make it a, a traumatic or a dramatic thing. And then, then we got to treat them for the emotional trauma that we inflict on them. And so, you know, for dogs in particular, we like to mix it up with eggs. Uh, dogs don't really care. You can throw poop in their dish. They're happy with it. <laughs> But, you know, cats are, are a little bit, they're, they're closer to a wild animal than a dog is oftentimes. And they think everything is going to kill them. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. so if you change anything in their feeding routine, in their water dish, that they are sure that something's going to jump out of that and, it's, and it's jump thing. on their face mm -hmm. and kill them. Mm -hmm. And so we frequently, you know, there's sneaky things like, you know, make them walk through it, put it on their paws. They're going to put it in it their off, catnip, scribble it mm -hmm. on, adding catnip to it. Yeah. Um, but a lot of times we'll literally put it in a dish or in some sort of a container and slowly over the space of a week or so, move it closer to their food bowl yep. until it actually, a little piece of it makes it into their food. And they're like freaked out at first, but for something where it is a chronic condition, we're gonna have to look at that long-term care, especially for an aging cat, um, that that becomes easier because it's easier for us as, as uh, you know the, the critter caretakers to be able to just toss it into their food mm -hmm. rather than than trying to force something into them. And of course, adding it into their water if um, that doesn't stop them from uh, drinking water. And when we do that, and that's a very common way for cats in particular, to make sure they're not just going to get a different water source. Yeah, like- Because they do that all the time. So you have mm -hmm. to monitor that they're drinking an appropriate amount of water the, still. The cats in particular are the ones that you have to really, Bob said it perfectly, if you put it beside their food and move it towards the food slowly, on the first couple of days, they think they're going to die for sure because it's a new thing by them. They're going to be poisoned. And then we half their bowl and put it beside inside their bowl, but not touching their food. Then eventually it's touching their food. They'll, they'll come around. They're, they're right. so persnickety. And the bird. It's like a training mechanism. Yeah. yeah. Like if you it's, slowly if, introduce this new. Yeah. If it's acute, then we like, I would stick their paw in it or yeah. put it or, or put it or put it in their catnip um, for sure. But if it's the kind of thing where like, no, this cat just needs this for the rest of the life that will do it that way for sure. And, and again, the birds, it's dusting because they get so mad and they rub their, their nose with their, their paw. And so that's a, a good way to start to kind of dust it over them. They need such a low dose in the beginning because they can really be affected. You can kill a bird by surprising it. It's one of those kind of animals, rabbits too, chinchillas, um, sugar gliders, all can be frightened to death. So making mm -hmm. sure that you just kind of get it on the hand that the bird is on will be enough to start to dose them unless it's an acute thing and then we'll deal with it a different way. And another thing like for things like some of the snakes uh, and, and where it's appropriate, um, injecting it like snakes, say, whether scales, you're feeding them a gold fish or whether you're trying to feed them a mouse, 
Um, you could actually inject uh, some of your medicine that's decocted mm -hmm. down into a thicker syrup. You can inject that into there. Snakes don't care what they're eating. So, so let's. <laughs> I, I was going to give you like a like I I know we always all of our students always want the lists of herbs, and so I was going to make sure that we covered a, a few more herbs for sure. But let's talk about the snakes for compliance real quick. Um, one of the things that we have learned, um, snakes, if anybody doesn't know, um, reptiles in general are susceptible to virus, that just plain and simple. Um, snakes and lizards tend to generate that in a respiratory virus. Um, turtles and other animals tend to have a virus that is a, a more um, body component to it, like um, a, a rash or scales or, or that kind of thing. And so for the snakes, how you would dose them if you needed to dose them every single day, they're not eating every single day. So it's difficult. You just don't want to get your snake out and kind of shove something in its mouth every day because that's invasive. Ooh. How we would do it is we would take a, a large Rubbermaid container with holes all in it and put it inside of a larger Rubbermaid container and then mist it into that container, the second container, so that the snake was having to breathe it in. And then you can just pick it right back out and release them back into his tank. Does that make sense the way mm -hmm. I described that? Almost so like you would have the snake on inside the inner container. With yes, holes correct. In it, and yeah. the outer container would have the, uh, the medicine. The right. Medicine. So you could put okay. it in a humidifier or you could put it in even um, a a flower as I mean, a, sorry, an essential oil um, infuser. Like diffuser. Uh -huh. Yeah. And then just put the tea into that. And then that snake would be breathing in that respiratory formula every day. You wouldn't have to worry about it. I've also put it in the misters for a terrarium so that it was actually dripping its medicine as long as it wasn't going to be harmful to the other animals that were in there. Mm -hmm. So it was dripping its medicine. I've also dusted the crickets. So if it's a kind of thing that we were going to have to have crickets chasing, all of the crickets in the batch got dusted with the formula. And then when we just chose the crickets for whatever it was grabbing them, they're always going to get a dose of their formula. And, and we would dose just the same way that we would for a human as far as if we put 10 days worth in, then those are 10 days worth of crickets and we make sure that they get them across the 10 days. And so there's little weird tricks that we have found out of desperation. I've had a few snakes that have had damage to their jaw that they weren't able to eat properly. So out of that, I've had to find other ways. And lots of people are not comfortable with getting it to their scales somehow, like having to mess with their body and move their big scales to get it in there to their skin. And so that's an easy way to not handle it as much. Or if you had somebody who was helping you care for it, that was afraid of the reptiles of getting it to them. So, so there's tricks, there's weird tricks for that. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I'm thinking too, just like even with my dogs, um, you know, part of it could potentially come down to, and depending on the animal itself, but your bond with that animal. Um, I mean, I know like with my dog, Bella, who passed a few years back, I would just treat whatever herb I needed to give her as a treat, you know? Mm -hmm. So she was licking chamomile glyceride out of my hand and loved it. And in, and our dogs yeah. now we give them goat's milk kefir and we make mm -hmm. it a treat. So we'll be like, okay, come in. You want to get some kefir and they'll run to the door um, <laughs> mm -hmm. because they think it's something really special. And it is because it's, you know, it's, it's of benefit to them. Um, but, you know, if you have that bond or if you're deepening your bonds with your animals, um, then that's another potential way that you can kind of work on that and, and work on different ways of introducing these herbs or, um, you know, dusts or powders or, yeah. or whatever. We, we look at, process. we totally look at that, like with, with children that if 
you you know because we're in the community that we have herbal children that will like roll up for their bitters where normal children to be like oh no i don't want that right. so if it always was just this thing that we did then we were all good like that was a good point that if we treat it like a, a treat for sure in in our medicine cabinet type of thing for if you were trying to do a medicine cabinet and cover some more herbs for them things that are eye related or wound related are really big styptic items and so we find that chamomile and calendula do a really good job for eye washes, nose washes, wound washes. Um, and we tend to get really weird steroidal issues where doctors are very willing to give a lot of steroids to certain animals and they end up with bleeding issues because of it. It's a long, it's for a longer podcast to explain that. Mm -hmm. and, and I'll throw in there chrysanthemum, the yes. uh, Chinese herb, uh, Juhua. Yes, uh, it is my favorite because it is considered specific for the eye, mildly cooling. So for that weepy, goopy eye, like the bloodshot, yeah, we can use it as a washer and literally use that to wipe it away. But also adding that into their uh, food and water. So we're getting it from the inside as well as from the outside. Yeah. So those those three, the chrysanthemum, the um, calendula and the, so the chamomile. It starts with a C. <laughs> Um, they Are they all in the same family too? They're very, well, they're, they, they have, they look similar in the, like if we looked at them on paper, they have antimicrobial properties. They're safe for the eyes. They're safe for wound washes. They're safe for feet dipping. I don't know if people notice, but snouts and, and um, paws always gray first. And we're convinced that's because it's exposure to chemicals outside. Mm. But that's why they do that. There, there's an interesting, you know, and, and those three herbs, because they, we think of them like, ah, eh, you know, just to, as an eye wash. And but all, all three of those are ophthalmologues. Mm -hmm. um, and yet their indications are so uniquely different. You know, if we think chamomile, we would see uh, where digestion and stress might be an Angry issue and that's ones. manifesting mm -hmm. in the eyes. Mm -hmm. uh, if we were looking at calendula, we might've seen the overuse of steroids that we need to repair the gut. Mm -hmm. If there's maybe some pain involved, we might be using that. Or if there's an infection, an active infection, we might be using the calendula more. And with the uh, chrysanthemum, the juhua, we would probably look for an aggressive or tense or angry dog mm -hmm. that's running a little hot uh and, and that you know in the chinese concept of that livery kind of personality a little irritability a little snappy um that that might and so yes all of them are correct any kind of goopy eye stuff but we can start to the more we start to understand <laughs> that that kind of signature of the plant its primary functions outside of just something appropriate and gentle on the eye we can narrow down and try to select those plants a little bit more specifically and get increasingly better results, whether we do it internally or externally. Yeah, all of those would be heavy hitters in that they could be antimicrobial, um, in some cases, styptic-y, help with um, allergies. Like those are heavy, those are good ones. That are, those are all just super, um, they're common. You can find half of those in the grocery store. Um, but it, it goes back to that idea of energetics and trying to understand uh, that, that doctrine of signatures or how do we match the plant to the issue to get the best results. All mm -hmm. three would work. Right. And yeah, go right ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, I've just, I've had a lot of success with uh, calendula for pretty much anything skin related, yeah. um, not only with myself, but also with, with my dogs and, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, being able to make a tea from the calendula, of course, the flowers you can just eat or add to food. You can use um, them to, to put, a, to use it, to put onto a, 
hot spot. They can use the flower. Oh yeah. Like a, like a brush almost. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've also worked with a homeopathic gel, which sometimes for application can just be super easy. And I like that it's a gel rather than an ointment that has like petrolatum or, or other like kind of suffocating types of things and it the gel tends to be nice i i'm glad that you said that so because you mentioned the keeper as well i have had good success with any of those combinations in a yogurt a raw yogurt mm. as like the gel and then putting that yogurt on the hot spot on the wound because they're going to lick it off of course but then we have the culture the flora the fauna and the herb both on the top and getting internally so yeah same concept for sure mm -hmm. and i love that that's really good so, so thinking along the lines of just like a, a medicine cabinet, um, one of the ones like you, you mentioned, you had great success with the calendula that we were, we were talking about. We've had several times that we've had an animal that's had what boils down to again, longer explanation, but what boils down to a spleen issue, which boils down to a bleeding issue. So things like um, internal bleeding that the doctor can't get a hold of and doesn't understand that comes from surgery, that's been an issue and wound bleeding and fistulas that we have used the calendula with several other things um, to kind of seal that up and to help nourish that area. So it's important to understand that all of them together, these are really good ones. Um, another problem that we have that we see a lot is connective tissue issue, whether it's going to be hip dysplasia, tonification, and when they're getting older, dislocations um subluxations right a lot of 100 like, subluxations 100 like with dogs especially right exactly and so we're looking at easy ones for that too a solomon seal or go to cola and the go to cola is going to go back to the the nerve health it would it would pair easily with the oats for the nerve health too but mm -hmm. that that so easy to get them to eat Solomon seal and it's such a good food again it could go into their food it's funny uh, Solomon seal is uh, one that we use humans and and, mm -hmm. and critters mm -hmm. uh, and, and the name escapes me off the top of it there's a uh, genetic or, or I forget what genetic or autoimmune that happens to a lot of oh, dogs yeah, where the they turned rotate in. Yeah. and they literally say there's nothing that can be done for them just put them down because they'll and literally a week's worth of Solomon seal and it rotates and so what's important and it goes back to the idea of energetics if a veterinarian gave us the name of that disease and we went and googled it there would be no hope mm -hmm. and we would give up if we say what does that look like um and both from an energetic and a physical standpoint it looks like tight tendons it's literally the tendons are pulling on one side and rotating those legs around you go what's the thing that's for tight tendons and for tendon injury we'd start throwing go to cola or solomon seal or something like that and more often than not, I, you know, nobody's working a hundred percent on anything, but that works just to say, what does this look like? Mm -hmm. um, and if we can match the herbs appropriately to that, we're likely to have good success and most importantly, do no harm. You know, we're using very safe herbs in the case because, you know, the critter can't say, oh, you know what, that's burning a hole in me. So we don't want to necessarily give that dog cayenne pepper every day because uh, it can't tell us whether that's working for him or not. Mm -hmm. You know, And so things like that that are bordering between food and medicine 
um, just dramatic results that we can we have. have those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the, yeah. Solomon Seal is another one that I've worked with a lot magic. and just yeah. seen amazing. I mean, both in, in humans and in mm-hmm. other creatures, yeah. um, just seen amazing results. And, and it's one that, you know, is a little harder to find in commerce and maybe it's a little bit, but it's actually really easy to grow if you have the right conditions with shade and everything. Um, but yeah, I've just seen Solomon Seal work so many magic. Yeah. yeah, I mean, really. And, you know, again, like there's obviously not a magic pill and nothing is going to fit every situation every time. But when it's called for Solomon Seal is yeah. Yeah. I've just been amazed. You know, and there's uh, there's um, a lot of discussion in our herbal community uh, because most of us use the the Western, the South, well, I guess it grows all over the Eastern seaboard, is trying to uh, harvest your own Solomon Seal or get it from a distributor. We found, uh, and like you said, sometimes it's hard to source. Uh, and here in Florida, it does not grow well. Uh, mm-hmm. We've tried. And um, what we find is the Chinese Solomon seal, specifically, um, uh, I think it's a Polygonum odifera. Uh, I could be wrong on the species. Um, Huang Jing, H U A N G. J-I-N-G. That's easier to get. Is very easy to get. Um, and it's in an interesting form. It's been steamed. Hmm. And um, it's like beef jerky. It tastes like raisin beef jerky. Yeah. Oh, and wow. so very yeah. approachable we eat for, it all the time. for humans and for critters, especially dogs, uh, uh-huh. to just like grab it off like a yeah. little shoe leather or uh, oh, I uh, fruit try leather. This. And so it's very- I, I made a Solomon seal glycerite. Mm-hmm. like a couple of years ago and I hadn't made it in a glycerin form before and it tastes like peanut butter to me which is yeah. so strange. 100% no no the western does 100% and the so the Chinese Bob's right so if I have it if I have a time I have um, a bunch of I, I've had many knee surgeries and I have a bunch of physical abnormalities because of my upbringing um, I, and um, so I, I would eat it all the time because of, and, and the Western one totally tastes like peanut butter, a hundred percent, a little bit, that and maca and honey. And it would be like uh-huh, peanut butter and honey uh-huh, sandwich for sure. Right. Um, but the Chinese, like if I have to stay late, like if I'm in the clinic all day and then we have clinic student clinic that night and I, we're not running out for dinner, I'm literally eating the Chinese one. It tastes like a fruit roll up kind of like a beef jerky mm-hmm. fruit roll up. I don't even know how to describe it. And it's the same. It's like, we would use it one for one. The steaming adds a little bit of heat to it, but that's fine. That's okay. Like cold. Right. It's pretty usually. neutral anyway. So, so we would use that um, in lieu of some kind of painkiller for joints. We would lose, use that for any surgeries. We use that for any kind of loose or tight tendons to create mm-hmm. structure. And with the go to cola in there to help with that connective tissue as well, like that's a winner. It's something mm-hmm. like, and the go to cola again can be added to food super easily. It's, it's yep. a food like uh, herb as well. Yeah. And the Ayurvedic community, it's eaten in, in soups and in salads. So it's definitely when we're looking at anything food, it's helpful because we can feel like it's a little bit safer for sure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it's important to, because we're, we're talking about so many of our herbs, our regular Medica are a hundred percent. We can use them with most critters uh, safely and easily, and just a do- adjusting for uh, weight and size in particular in our metabolism. The smaller they are, the faster the metabolism. But I think it's also important to talk about the herbs we shouldn't give, mm. um, because there's a lot of misconceptions and I think bad information out there about those things that, like, oh yeah, just put all the essential oils on your pets; they'll be fine, and we're not a fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> the national and international um, governing boards for essential oils are not a fan. So if those are the people who are trying to get you to be 
essential oil practitioners and they're telling you that it's dangerous for your pets, it's something to think about. But in particular, because they have their, their special population, they're oftentimes smaller um, and their ability to metabolize mm -hmm. uh, the essential oils, mm -hmm. both inhaled, so a diffuser in a room when you got a bird or a cat in there that can't escape from those diffused essential oils, over time has the potential to cause some, mm -hmm. some serious issues. But I would also say um, those herbs that have a potential toxicity or a toxicity buildup. Yeah, yeah, and and so things with our PAs or AAs in there, um, we probably, unless it's vitally necessary for their survival when all else will fail, I I generally don't recommend things like, and, and I hate to say it, comfrey, arnica, lobelia, you know, even though those aren't necessarily, you know, some controversy in some of them, but they have such a strong effect that to use those long-term where the critter can't necessarily um tell us there's a problem anything that contains ephedrine in there you know the the mahuang uh cordifolia. if you're challenged to take the pulse of a bird or a cat or a dog and we're feeding them something that might stimulate the the heart rate that has the potential for harm very quickly let me point out something real quick about what bob said in case there's very average normal non-herbal geeky people listening and that is the, all of the homopathic arnica is fine. Mm -hmm. All the stuff that's made for animals specifically. Yeah, flower essences. Yeah, the flower essences and homeopathy arnica is spectacular and very helpful. Bob's talking about the actual item. Right, like adjusting like the flower. a physical dose. Yeah, yes. and, and there's some debate, some other things like garlic. You'll find that actually in dog foods. And if you go and Google that, you're gonna, it's gonna say garlic is toxic to dogs and it becomes a dosage amount and a frequency amount. So mm -hmm. we need to recognize that there's some variation in all of that. There's a time and a place for all of them. Um, and then there's some species and literally species specific mm -hmm. uh, things like there's some uh, some reports that is it for greyhounds hops, hops. Yeah. is contraindicated in greyhounds mm -hmm. as a breed specifically. Yeah. Um, wow. And because no hops for greyhounds or yeah. that breed line. And then, of course, then it gets complicated because when we see the mutt uh, that may have some genetic predisposition that not to say that, you know, like mm -hmm. if you wave a hops plant under a greyhound's nose, it's going to fall over dead. But if we see some of those tra physical traits of a greyhound perhaps coming up, um, we might use caution with that uh, or find some other kind of, of nervine digestive kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, there's, there's definitely a lot that needs to be explored. Um, but I'm going to say 90% of all the herbs that we would use on a human, we can happily use for, for most of our critters. For real, Anna Claire, like our, our normal basic, like if we learned it, in the first generation of our herbal education, like a family herbalist, almost all of those are usable. The things that we'd stay away from would be the things we stayed away from for babies or pregnant women. That's what mm -hmm. it boils down to. Mm -hmm. So like the comfrey will always tank a cat's kidneys for the same reasons we know it would tank one of ours. And so that's, that's important. The only other thing I would say about the safety of the herbs and staying away from them, because a big one would be something like camphor or tea tree oil or castor is if they can lick it and ingest it mm -hmm. and understanding that all of the antifungals are heavy hitters. 
So the topical antifungals are things that ingestion wise, we wouldn't be um, exploring. And so for a fast metabolism item, it could kill them quickly. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is, I don't want to hear, I, I get this all the time. I'm, I'm very sassy sometimes about stuff. And I, I get the, well, my dog ate this and it's just fine. Well, my dog ate a remote control with the batteries. <laughs> so my dog ate a black light. You know, nice. yeah. <laughs> so we have the same dog, like obviously. So just because they can eat a full set of batteries, remote control, except for the number one that was left, just because they can ingest that doesn't mean it's the best thing for them and that another dog wouldn't have been very, very ill or passed away from it. And so thinking of it that way as well. There's one other formula I want to talk about because veterinarians who are trained in alternative medicine use this one. Thank you. This is good. Sometimes. I know what he's going to say. Yep. Um, and so it's called Unum Bayao. Mm -hmm. uh, and come, yeah, there you there, go. There it is. Right and there. it's used as a, a styptic. It stops bleeding. Okay. It's given internally. Um, and it has things like aconite in there, or actually unprocessed aconite that has toxicity, obviously. And in Chinese medicine, we do use that internally to stop bleeding. And, you know, it's scary sometimes. But I, I've seen way too often that veterinarians are using it long term, which I don't think they're trained to, but they don't know any other option. Yeah, and, they're and trained to use it. It has whenever very needed. serious and potentially deadly side effects for long-term use. And so I would put a week or two is the max on that. Um, and what we look for as a warning sign is the hair falling out and increased heat and thirst. So the dog will start panting abnormally, looking for the tile drinking floor and, mm. and that excessive drinking and ultimately fatigue. And over time, you know, a, a we had a dog that was on it for over a year I, I was, and was on, would have died within weeks if we- Was brought to us because it was dying. Like yeah. it was like the, the vet said to go home. The, this is a good point that- Almost like hospice care in that it, it was, it was, mm -hmm. but except that, that they don't understand how to use it. So like I said, there, there's like a weekend course and herbs that a vet can take or an acupuncture. And then they don't understand. I This is not an exaggeration. So I'm glad that Bob had the, the thought process to bring it up more than once a year but always once a year, we get a, I'm going home for this dog to die, drive by the clinic. And it's always the Unibial. It's always mm -hmm. that the vets are like, well, it's bleeding internally and I don't know what to do. So let's just take Unibial for the rest of your life where it was made for an emergency acute thing one time, not to have, and, and, and he was right, like a year. And, and for real, that dog, nettles and calendula, like the dog was going to be euthanized and it was nettles and calendula that fixed it. And maybe a little shepherd's purse and plant. Yeah, taking the them. taking the the unit by out, taking them off the unit by out was such a dramatic relief for that animal. So it's a, it's an interesting thing to see that happen because it is an emergency stop bleed. So the vets do know it to save an animal that's been in a car wreck or had a catastrophic injury. So it's interesting that a minimum of once a year we get a dog who is literally dying on the spot. And it's the unit by out and it's mm -hmm. so crazy that they're not trained to to use it properly for sure mm -hmm. so, so it's it's kind of like with people where um the the more food like herbs are the ones that we would tend to go to for more of the everyday situations 
And then there's the acute herbs that are the short term, like something big is happening. We'll use this just to kind of get us through this first phase. And then we'll, you know, taper off and move on to something A thousand else. percent. And so absolutely. And we could do this endlessly. We probably should have a part two. That's just Medica. I know. We, right. I was, yeah, we, I was thinking like, this is a great overview. And I know that we, we both have other things going on today. Um, and I know that y'all, y'all teach classes often. You obviously have your herb school in Florida and you do some online stuff. You do some really great, um, plant walks and everything that you oftentimes film and share on social media. So just if people are starting to digest all this information that we've laid out today and they want to go deeper um, and, you know, yes, let's talk about doing a part two for the podcast, but also because we haven't even started to talk about like flower essences and homeopathy and I do a whole thing, which is a to, whole, yeah, a whole yeah, course and, just on animal flower essences. Right. Yeah. And, and they're so helpful. Flower essences and homeopathy Dramatic. animals is amazing. Yep. Amazing. Um, so uh, before we get to any sort of part two, what's a good play, place for people to find you or more of your classes or offerings, or even if you have like a go-to book or resource that you might 100%. be able to recommend, that'd be awesome. Yeah, a hundred percent. So the first thing is the school is the tradition school of herbal studies. There isn't another one. So we're really lucky that if you Googled that or you, you searched it on Instagram, um, just got, I hate to say it, rolling my eyes. We just got a TikTok up. We'll start producing videos. <laughs> um, yes, I know. I'm rolling my eyes, but you got to it's up a with the youngins. It's yeah, it's a thing. I'm trying. Um, the, the, YouTube the, channel. the YouTube channel, yeah. Tradition School of Herbal Studies. If I do a plant walk, like I'll tell you guys this too, because everybody listening will have an animal plant. If I do a plant walk and I'm talking about a certain plant and it's applicable for an animal, I always, we say, like we always introduce it. We try to talk about all the living creatures nice. and we do have favorite, favorite books. And, and I was going to say, and you can uh, find out about our classes, register for classes that we do in person and online. We're here in St. Petersburg, Florida. Um, but anywhere in the world, we've had people uh, in Europe and South America taking our classes online uh, is traditionsherbschool.com. And the clinical practice for herbs and acupuncture, as well as our intern clinic is at acuherbals.com. Uh, you can find out more information on both the clinical and the uh, school and either of those. YouTube, probably, we just have probably uh, over 100 videos that are everything from physical medicine to spiritual medicine, herbs, uh, botany. I don't even know what else, the, all kinds of weird stuff. The clinics and crystals. And yeah, yeah. you, David, we got it. We do do basic, yeah, basic crystal stuff. And the, the, the clinic's name is Acupuncture and Herbal Therapies because yeah. we do do online and lots of vets do contact us for help. So it's appropriate to say, I have, I need help with this in Skype us. Personally, like we, we probably own all the veterinary herbal books uh, and uh, both in Chinese yeah. and Western herbal medicine. The one I reference the most, and it's super appropriate whether you know Chinese medicine or not, is the four pause, five directions. Um, mm. It's available on Amazon. Um, it's been out for years. It has acupressure on Dr. there. Dr. Cheryl Swartz. Yeah. And just, I think just a phenomenal book uh, for the beginning to advanced. And it will talk about a little bit of formulation. It's written for the layman for sure. And it's, it's a, it's a guide in Chinese medicine to dogs and cats, but it does 
mention and encompass all kinds of things. Also, it will reference pre-done formulas if you weren't an herbalist that you could go to an acupuncture vet or you could go to a holistic vet and probably get and so or order them online if they're if they are so and so it's very usable. And we do that book is all mutilated. It's it's dog eared for sure. Um, we our students do go uh -huh. for it. The only other one that I would say, oh my gosh, I didn't realize I just said dog eared. <laughs> Such a um, great pun. <laughs> the, the only the only other one would be um the husbandry farm book that's Juliet de Vericles Levy. Mm -hmm. that, that was before there was vets to go to. And so the only problems with that one is old science. Right. So just it's a like, little dated. Yeah. Yeah. So just, just um, not eating the comfrey type of thing, but mm -hmm. things we know about for sure. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Those are great recommendations. I have a couple of books, but I haven't heard of the four Paul's five directions. So I'm really mm -hmm. excited to check that one out. Um, I know with the holistic vet that I've worked with, she had a really great one that was on uh, food therapy yeah. <clears throat> for animals coming yeah. from a Chinese medicine perspective. And that was just really great. I don't remember the name. I've actually been meaning to check, um, to reach out and, and ask her about that. So great references to start. Thank you so much for both being here today. It's always a pleasure to get to hang out with you and chat with you, even if it's from a distance. So, it's nice to see you. Yeah, I know you too. It's been way too long to I'm hear ready your voice. For, yeah. for events to become a, a thing well, yeah. again, yeah. you know, and like <laughs> yeah. get to have these yearly gatherings. So looking forward to that. And then, you know, still need to make a trip down to Florida to come just hang out with y'all sometimes. Happy to have you. Yeah, Comfort it would be a joy indeed. Mm -hmm. It's well, way more you. fun in the winter time. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. This time of year, I might, <laughs> I might wait more. a few months, right? Um, well, I'm going to ask you just one more quick question because this is something I ask everyone and I forgot to tell you all ahead of time, but um, I just ask everyone what's nourishing them in this moment. So it can be for the two of you together or separately, just like what's feeding you right now? What feels good in the world around you? this getting mm -hmm. to hear you and talk to you and be with our friends and family again and for me in particular getting to be outdoors like getting to go to the ocean getting to go to our favorite spots and be out in nature is is really helpful this time of year mm -hmm. it, it's funny I, and it's probably the two things i i thrive in being outdoors mm -hmm. uh the if i got 15 minutes to go walk around the woods if i'm stressed out in the office for some reason i'll literally just go walk down the alley and go id a couple plants because that just brings joy um and, and it's funny it's one of those things that too much of a good thing is too much um i love teaching and i love seeing my clients um and so i i try to manage it but like if i'm not seeing people if i don't have my couple of clients every day i literally start to get antsy mm. uh and so <laughs> working those couple of days a week um, and student clinic is truly uh, supervising our intern clinic is one of my favorite things. I literally walk out of their giddy. Uh, and, and so it brings, it brings joy mm. to watch the aha moments uh, both in the classroom, but the clinical part of it, uh, that supervision, I, I'm, we, every night that we're there together, we're literally talking to each other on the phone over taking separate cars. We drive home talking about just the like, night. Oh my God, yeah. wasn't that amazing oh, kind of thing. Yeah. And, and literally that makes your heart happy. Uh, mm -hmm. And yeah. so that balance of the excitement, the hustle and bustle of, of that, those clinical aspects is a type of nourishment and joy, but the calmness and, and the stillness of spending time outdoors creates that perfect balance i'm I think. super happy to hear your voice and to see you again and, and we miss everybody terribly 
So oh, yes. it's good to have the communication back and up and going. Absolutely. It's such a treat and, and especially to see you two here today. So I'm just so grateful for that and definitely look forward to seeing you in person again soon. We'll talk, mm -hmm. we'll talk about doing a part two for this. Um, but yeah, thank you. It's always a treat and y'all are just such a special blessing to the world and everything that you're doing. Just always big kudos and gratitude to both of you. Thank you for having us and thank you for your work. Thanks. Thank you for being here. I'll talk to y'all soon. Bye -bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Sage and Spirit. You can download more episodes and subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform, such as Apple or Google Podcasts. For more show notes and guest information, visit dancingsagewellness.com. Until next time, take care and be well.